Hello, my little sweethearts, and welcome back to A Pint with Peter, an informative and somewhat comedy podcast where me and my friend Chris sit down with my dad, and at the moment we chat about punk and music. He's currently jam- dancing around the studio to his merry jig. Yeah, greetings, pop pickers. That's a reference for somebody. Ken Bruce. Wow, this boy knows his music. Goodness me. Well, tonight, you know, we're, we're into this cross-generational experience. We've got good news, haven't we, Russ? We do. We do. I am becoming, for the first time, a <laughs> grandfather. So you will now officially be Uncle Russ. I know, Russell. Uncle Russ. Uncle Russ. I wear it. You're, no, you're not an mm. uncle. Well, I'll get crispy. You can be. We can go back to the 50s and 60s when I was a kid where basically <laughs> yeah. every other male you knew was your uncle. To be fair, my dad had a best friend, his best man, um, who growing up always called him uncle. That's right. Um, I feel like they always end up being creepy, though, and touching someone. It's because you're looking at it through modern eyes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I grew up with probably half a dozen uncles, and uh, I I don't remember one instance of um, being molested (laughs) or whatever. I mean, the molestation, if you remember, happened in that sweet shop. Yes, we remember that. They yeah. go back to podcasts yeah. uh, free could, for that. I can never look at a Newbury fruit in the same way anymore. <laughs> Quite funny, really, because my friend in America, his wife, heard it. And she, she was really shocked. <laughs> I think she said to him, is your friend really disturbed, Andrew, after all this? <laughs> no uh, comment there, Chris. Yeah, no comment, yeah. I mean, do you... Um, I, I mean, we're obviously... It's going to be a new generation. I wonder what sort of music the baby will enjoy. I mean, do you think... I, I thought we had a really good ending last time when he started uh, talking about AI. And mm. the last, well, number 72, I think it was, you actually recorded the outtake using AI, didn't you? Very chirpy outro. Yeah, and I, I thought it was really quite good. I thought that it was good as well. Yeah, not as good as you, Russ, no. but uh, even so... Even I, so. I, I feel like with AI, I found, I don't know about you, Chris, if I write it for it and say, improve it, it does a pretty good job. I, yeah, I But think... then if I'm like, write an outro to a podcast, it's like, hey, everyone! Like, I just felt so jaunty in America. I didn't yeah. like it. yeah. Maybe I mean, I'll try it next. This yeah, time. I mean, I, I was thinking earlier. Um, oh, I mean, and Dad also. I also wrote the blurb to the episode with AI, and that turned oh, out yeah. okay. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. And what I was thinking was uh, when I was listening to the joyous in uh, recount straight from the hospital ward. Uh, your your mum was very pleased, and her partner was very very pleased because apparently she went through this ordeal with flying colours oh god uh but a part of it was apparently the team she worked with was great but they had music playing in the background now oh, i can believe that so i just wonder because I, I i don't think there's any doubt whatsoever i think music clearly has some amazing qualities the music is basically all emotion but uh and i i thought i thought of you two I mean, you probably are reasonably influenced by the sort of stuff I would have played when you were a kid, aren't you? Up to a point. Yeah, I'd say so. Up to a point. What about you, Chris? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I still listen to like some of the bands that my dad would play. You just wonder if it's a form of brainwashing. You know, when you're very young and you and, you, and you're moulding your mind, and it's it's got a very high degree of plasticity, and you know, you, your parents are obviously quite colossal to you when you're very young, aren't they? And you're playing it, and uh, you, you're listening to it, and you're associating this must be great because my parents are listening to it. Ergo, I'm going to like it as well. It's yeah. going to be a really interesting. One. I mean, what what I find absolutely fascinating, uh, you know, with my quite deep interest in in, in re- records and music over several decades is I, I can speak to people of your age or even younger and then the knowledge it might be superficial of certain periods of music is really quite advanced so you're wondering if you have a baby now and uh, an increase in the capacity of you know, the digital world to uh, expose you to all sorts of things. You wonder just what will happen, don't you? So it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, the bottom line is, Russ, I did find fatherhood an incredible experience. Oh, um, I am a joy, Chris. Yeah, you are a joy. Um, I mean, I, 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 don't Charlotte, often, a... I don't often well up, but, you know, your mum is... As you know, because of this pooch here, she's she's in Scotland. I'm not, and uh, really, the podcast came first, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Dad would probably do the podcast. I'm only here for the podcast, but um, (laughs) yeah, it's like in the last few days, I've been wandering around with the dog, and uh, you get chatting to people, particularly people who have babies, and then you say. You know, I'm I'm having a grandchild in a few days' time, and uh, you know what I mean. It's all oh, I'm very happy for you. And, you know, it's uh, and you want to tell everybody. Um, so you know, in the supermarket and at the petrol pumps, even when you two were on the way. You know, I can remember chatting many times in the most um, unexpected circumstances, shall we say? And the great news, because I I think we need to drive this home. Um, you know, I've mentioned a couple of things already that I think are very, very positive. I, I think, despite all the gloom and misery that, uh, you know, let's face it, we do quite enjoy satirically looking at, there is still a, a core of really heartfelt, good, generous stuff out there, isn't there, I think? Yeah? Russell's nodding here, quaffing coughing his beer. And I, and I think that that's one of them. So, Russ, um, what, what the other thing I'm trying to do is, it's going to be quite interesting with the grandkid now, isn't it? Because maybe when you're 50 or something and I'm gone, you know, the, the kid will find this lot up in the cloud yeah. and say, oh, I didn't know that about granddad. <laughs> yeah? So what will our kids take up the mantle? Family history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but what, what we always do is we try to pin pin it down don't we we try to pin where it's september the 7th today we try to pin it down with something that's current in the news but i've got to tell you i mean i looked at what's going on in this sceptered island at the moment and it's difficult to pin it down to anything interest um did you, I, I mean this for your real pop pickers uh, i hope you've recorded it i was playing a tune that comes from 1965 would you know what that tune is called? Some I mean, that been. would be amazing. Uh, it's called The Concrete and the Clay. 
1965, that was number one. Huh. It was by a band, get this name, they were called Unit 4 Plus 2. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't particularly traumatised by being felt up by the newsagent's assistant, but... Put that push to over I there. would have only been, obviously, uh, literally in short trousers, just leaving um, junior school, you know. And uh, this Concrete and Clay is actually not my favourite band, The Stones, mm -hmm. off the number one spot. Livid. Yeah, livid. Um, and the lyric, if you're listening to it, do you get, do you get the contemporary reference here? The concrete and the clay beneath my feet begin to crumble. Have you been listening to the news recently? Schools are crumbling, Russell. Oh. <laughs> except falling except, on the heads of yeah, children. Except, I mean, I'm a bit worried, really, because this house was sitting here at the moment it was built in the 60s. Oh. What's it called? Is it called Crinkly Crackly or something? Is it called no, Crack or I don't know. It's Crack? R or... double AC something's the acronym for it. Reinforce. So it's called Rack or Crack. Rack. Or... Yeah. Reinforce something something concrete. Right. So you so you got the roof falling in. So you, you could aerated is one of the A's. That's the one. It's like aero, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my god. So the roof's falling in on broken Britain. So I've got a head full of concrete and feet of clay. Russell's middle name is Clay. Yeah, no, no, they do. Feet of Clay. Do you know what feet of clay means? Because that, that's really interesting. Uh, when I when I was a kid, I don't. I'm not going off on a digression here. But when I was a kid, people spoke, particularly the older generation, spoke in in idioms, and parables, and uh, sayings, and so on. Do, do you remember that from your parents, or do you think it was yeah, previous? Yeah, to um, a little bit. Like we have like family. Family ones. Your family. Yeah. Like, so it's like a code, like a, sayings, yeah. a little common code. Yeah. You know, like the skeletons are coming home to roost yeah. or something. Like we've uh, not, we've got. Um, I'm not going to boil my cabbage twice. Wow. Which means I'm not repeat. I'm going to repeat myself. Interesting. So I, yeah. Or I don't want. Well, so or if you want to tell people something, you wait until everyone's scared. You like I got this to say. But I'm not going to boil my cabbage twice, so I'll wait for everyone. Wow. Yeah, I don't think we had too many, didn't uh, we, us, to be honest. I, I, mean, I have one that me and Chris always argue, argue about. Chris, six and two threes. Yeah, because you say six and a half a dozen, don't you? No, I say it's half... It's half... It's half six of one. Of, it's yeah. six of one, half dozen of the other. And you say it's six and two threes. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. I mean... Why, why I thought feet of clay was relevant, because feet of clay means you've got a fundamental flaw or weakness in a person or persons who's otherwise revered. And that's having done for you quite an extensive study of, of this particular era of music, punk rock. I mean, you really do have to choose your heroes very, very carefully, because a lot of the people involved were deeply flawed. They had, re they had real big boots of clay. I mean, it's probably like anything. Well, the, the especially more, these days. The more, I, the more I got into it, the more you realised it. They perpetrated one of the biggest cons, one of the biggest scams ever known to man. Not, wow. you know, not just the band, but the, the media kind of colluded in creating these folk devils. That's what you're going to say, because they were sh shit at music. Well, I, I, I came into it, really. Um, anyway, do you both agree that there isn't a great deal of news at the moment, unless you really want to sit here because you're captivated by misogyny and Spanish ladies' football? Does that interest you, lads? No, hardly. OK, no, no, no. Well, tonight, 
Let's get down to Punk's brief reign in the in the music industry. And um, what you did, you you asked me last time because last time I gave you a retrospective. I tried to get you into imagining you were actually living in the 70s. I was trying to get over to you what some of the background features of living in British society at that moment led to the inception of, you know, an exceptionally eccentric brand of music like punk. Because I, I mean, punk was raucous, punk was rebellious, uh, and punk was disposable. That was a, that was a big thing. That was a big thing. It wasn't ever meant to last. And um, I think what what you two possibly don't know is that punk um, was a bit like the pre, you know, the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood in art. Yeah. Uh, Russell doesn't, you see, Chris. He's oh, not, he's not, not as cultured as you. But That's why I'm here. I, <laughs> I'm the comedy relief. You got it every man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one that the, cr- the crowd sympathise with. You're the man on the Clapham mm. omnibus, are you? But, um... Pre-Raphaelites. Even that, Chris. Even that. Pre-Raphaelites, the idea was that all great arts kind of ended with Raphael, so they wanted to go back to a period that was purer. But with punk, I went through last week some of the influences, both British and particularly American, and um, a massive influence is early rock and roll. Eddie Cochran and, uh, you know, McLaren. I remember talking about Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood. Their, their first um, shop on King's Road actually sold Teddy Boy gear. And they bought, um, you know, the trousers and, and the drapes and all that kind of stuff. It was a really big thing. And the Teddy Boy uh, shtick, it, 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 I don't know, it's particularly big in, in the Manchester area, but in London around that time, the Teddy Boys had a resurgence, would you believe? Hmm. I've got a wonderful picture on my phone, actually. I met an old Ted in uh, Pithwelly who was 78. Huh. And he had the drapes and he had the winkle pickers and he had the whole lot. I'll, I'll show you later. That's, but, um, that's a midlife crisis. But, um, I mean, the other central message I was trying to get over to you last week was that music became very, very bloated and, and conceited and pompous in some respects. And... Uh, the big record companies became really gargantuan, um, hence the kind of DIY ethic of punk, because, you know, around that time, people realised, because of advances in technology that we've spoken about many times, that you could actually produce and manufacture this stuff in your bloody back kitchen, really. I mean, that now has, has been taken to a different degree, hasn't it? You, I was going to say, you, quite a few of the bands I listen to, they've gone away from studios and managers. They just do it themselves now. Just sit in, well, not exactly a bedroom, but yeah. maybe sit in, you know, because the equipment's much more sophisticated, yeah, you isn't it? You can have your own home studios to do things yeah. Well, I mean, you just have to watch Buddy Escape to the Country or something, and some will probably have a built-in sound studio. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that house near you. That's one, doesn't it? Which one? On that private road. Oh, I know, I know what you mean. But I think one of the Stone Roses lives down there. Mm. To be honest, that might explain it. But um, the, the other, I mean, the, I mean, I, I think if you, if you want a metaphor, I think punk was a necessary laxative. You know, it's as if we were talking about constipation <laughs> earlier, weren't we? We were talking about constipation. Uh, 
as a man, that's a prob- probably the nearest you can get to understanding what giving birth <laughs> means, yeah. I feel like you can relate, Chris. Yeah, is Chris a bit of a constipated person? I like to think he isn't. No, he's not, not. okay, <laughs> right. But used to be. It's <laughs> the, 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 not a toilet humour show. We yeah, are yeah, yeah. quiet, oh. quiet. But, um, you know, next few pod, pod, podcasts... Podca- podcasts... The next few podcasts after this, obviously I'm getting older as, as the years go past. You know, I'm going to talk to you about new romanticism and so on, new wave, blah, 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 blah. But the whole vibe of those genres, and particularly, you know, what, what came in the 80s and even in the 90s, it was very, very upbeat. Mm. But what, you know, if, if I can give you any idea of the time, I mean, you had these people... Taking death, addiction, self-abuse, boredom, and, and misery, and kind of packaging it. You know what I'm saying? It's um, it's it's really weird, and and it was being codified. It was it was being made into a money spinner. I mean, I I was reading that's a fabulous book, by the way. Any anyone who's listening and knows anything about the punk era, that probably is the ultimate guide. It's by a, a writer called John Savage, who was uh, around at the time. He actually, I was reading earlier, he actually um, was uh, beaten up quite a few times because of the articles he read. It was a very, very violent period, and um, but more so in London, I think. Um, I'm not going to dwell on it, but um, the Sex Pistols pushed out in the year of the Jubilee, 1977, they pushed out a single called God Save the Queen. Probably the most iconic. Which I'm sure you're familiar yeah, yeah. with. But, but you know, it, it, you've got the paradox. You know, the whole, one of the main kind of planks of punk was anti-commercialism. But had you been in London at that time, you would have seen massive billboards and it was on the London buses and all that stuff. Huh. Yeah. Um, and, and what happened was, around that time, um, the original uh, promoters of it, EMI, they got cold feet and decided they didn't want to put it out. And they destroyed all the copies of it, except for a few that were probably nicked and stuff like that. I was going like to say, that, we, yeah. were, we were discussing rare records before. Yeah. Would that fall under the category? Oh, shit. Probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, the guy I know him, Swelly, he he was telling me at one point he had ten copies of this single apparently. I think they'd be probably worth thousands now. But but what happened interestingly is uh, they were taken up by Richard Branson, <laughs> a young Richard Branson, and young Richard Branson met his match with Johnny Rotten, John Lydon, because jo- John Lydon, as I've said to you two podcasts ago. If you think he was some kind of thick Irish guy, think again. Very, very savvy. Yeah, very intuitive. Very, very kind of... He could figure things out very, very quickly. But uh, the point I'm making is you had this massive con going on and the Sex Pistols were basically unable to play. Because I'm going to talk to you for most of this broadcast about punk in Manchester um, the Sex Pistols, because their reputation was so vile and so repellent and they had such a bad press, they wouldn't be allowed to play anywhere. 
But they were they were receiving, I think at one time twenty five thousand, another time seventy five thousand in advances. So they were, they, they were being paid basically just for sitting around in a hotel room or or getting pissed. Do that kind of added to their. Of course it did. Oh, yeah. that, that's the whole point. The, it, and it was being built up by the media. The media actually created the Sex Pistols as kind of um, cartoon characters. So it's a really, really interesting one. Um, I don't... Th- I, you see, I, 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 when I was younger, as you know, I, I used to go down to London on a much more regular basis. And I used to hang around Portobello Road and... Um, Notting Hill and those kind of places because it was a kind of hip set. It was a kind of a hippie centre. Um, and gradually, during during punk, um, it moved. I think more down to King's Road places like that. But I remember on the couple of occasions I went down to London, uh, sometimes with Barney, sometimes with other people. You, when you saw the punks, they were the real McCoy. Do you know what I mean? They had fantastic leather jackets with the SWAT stickers on and the, the chains and the, uh, and the slashed um, T-shirts. And, of course, the iconic Mohicans. In Manchester, it was completely different. You, you would have been pretty hard-pressed. But the point is, the violence around that time, although a lot of it was theatrical, and it was staged, it was stage managed. It, the Sex Pistols, um, two of them at least, were really, really badly attacked. And I, I, and I mean, it could have been fatal. Because hmm. there's a lot of people out there who, quite understandably, were very, very upset. You know, it's the Silver Jubilee. And, you know, I'm, I'm not being simplistic here. I think what you find and what you've always found in this country is that um, working class people, particularly in the past, a lot of kids I knew would have gone into the armed services. They they really do have a strong concept and a liking for royalty. And uh, Johnny Rotten was beaten up so badly he was just about rescued in time. It smashed. I, th- I think it was. I think it probably was his right hand, but it, it was smashed so badly. Well, uh, you know, he couldn't play guitar, oh. and it, not that he played guitar very much. <laughs> and a couple of the other guys were really. It was so bad they had to put themselves out of the public eye. Oh. Are you with me? That's that's how bad it was. And um, I'm going to tell you in a couple of minutes about my you know brief flirtation and my my exposure to punk. Um, Leading up or adding on to what I've just been telling you, the massive confluence of ideas between Manchester and London, as you know, I might have mentioned it in the last podcast, was the three trade hall gigs. It's where we had the Sex Pistol didn't. But but what happened was uh, because the pistols couldn't play in many other places across the country, you had a kind of brotherhood and a unity building up um, and the Sex Pistols and, and most of the other big punk bands here during that era played on, on quite a regular basis. Why would they have protests outside the show or was that not a thing yet? No that didn't happen funnily enough that didn't happen. Because I imagine now you'd have yeah yeah you'd have flat cards and, and yeah. banners and uh, I mean the, the other thing I mean reading through um, that John Savage book and other accounts of the era the other thing that's quite ambivalent is the 
the Nazi references, you know, the swastikas and all that. Because I think a lot of the people who did that, they were just being totally thick mm. and totally dumb. And I, I don't think they fully understood what that symbolised. I think it was just seen as something to throw in, in somebody's face, to agitate somebody, to get them really, really angry. Um, I mean, I'm amazed there weren't more fatalities. But um, that all era, it was kind of grab the money and grin. You know, forget the nice people in pop history. You know, forget your Phil Collinses and your John Travolta's and your Sandy Shaw's. They don't matter much. But I mean, how popular was punk? Because I feel like me and Chris grew up on BBC documentaries. Yeah, I think... I think they make out everyone was listening to punk. No, it's everyone bullshit. No, it's total, total bullshit. <laughs> I mean, like, no. I don't know your thoughts, Chris. But that's how we... You know, when we were doing that project in college. Yeah. It's like everyone, like everyone think, was punk. I feel like you think punk is made out to be more of a yeah, kind of like with the hippie movement. Everyone in the 60s was hippie. Then everyone was a punk. Yeah. Well, that, I think, is the underlying raison d'etre, the rationale for doing this pod, pod, podcast. podcast. Because podcast. Podcast. Yeah, I must be <laughs> food obsessed. Um, because I think there's an awful lot of misunderstanding. I mean, what I'd say is, in punk's brief life, you had, again, a hardcore, a very influential hardcore, and it did, particularly because of the socio-economic circumstances of the time, catch on. It kind of briefly caught the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times, definitely. But if you look at um, the actual sales of punk records and so on, it's quite low. And uh, there was also, to be fair, beneath the surface, uh, a lot of resistance to it. Um, for example, back in the day, I can't remember which band it was. It could have been uh, the Buzzcocks, possibly. They they had a really good uh, single that was heading up to the top ten. Record shops just withdrew it. You know, but back in those days, funnily enough, you probably don't remember Woolworths, or do you remember? Oh, I remember Woolworths. Woolworths. Woolworths yeah. sold records. Uh, Boots. Sold records. Well, I remember we used to go to Smith's in Salem. W. H. Smith yeah. sold records, and yeah, it's uh, but what they do is because they found particularly the Sex Pistols stuff so offensive, they they just stopped stopped selling, which of course then attracts people, doesn't it? I think um, Russell's just unlocked a memory. Like W. H. Smith uh, in Sale. Did it have like little booths where you could listen to music? I don't remember that. Wow, that's going back. But it, or. Yeah, you just had things where it had what was in. Yeah, like I definitely remember things like that. Like, but you could press a button and you could yeah, listen yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, track. yeah. I think that was in WH Smith and Sale. I just remember HMV. I remember yeah. HMV yeah. having them as well. Wow, it's but, certainly a memory for people of my generation. Really? I don't remember it being there much in my 20s or whatever. I don't know. Um, to summarise, I, I think punk, to answer your question, was fundamentally a London phenomenon that was inspired by a small clique. Um, I mean, I, I, I've spoken to you many times before in different contexts about what some people call the great asymmetry. It's the way in which a minority can, if you want, inflict their preferences on the general population. Are you with me? I mean... I was going to tell you, I, in, in my notes here, I've got, um, you know, what, what were my first 
experiences of pop. And um, around that time, this would be 76, 77, I guess, I, I actually saw the um, Stranglers. And the Stranglers played at uh, the Top of the World Ballroom in Stafford. And there's two Stranglers albums over there. That's my first one. That's called Rattus Norvegicus. And that's a later one called Black and White. Um, but they, a lot of people don't see them as punk, actually. They were one of the, uh, if you want, bandwagoners. I think they, they could see what was happening. They, they caught the trend and successfully manipulated it to their own ends. Because they, they were, in, in if you want to call them punk, very, very successful. They had quite a number of top ten singles. And later, some of the later stuff is quite melodic. Whereas the stuff in Rattus Norvegicus, it's certainly, and I've mentioned it in a couple of podcasts before, it's certainly misogynistic. It's certainly... Uh, you know, quite sexist. It's also arguably a little bit racist. You know, you remember I told you before? I think I actually went through the lyrics, didn't I? One of their songs I remember was called Bring On The New Biles. Mm, I remember you mentioning, I remember you mentioning it that. Another song, dare I say it, was uh, I Feel Like A Wog. Do you remember me telling you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite incredible that, um, that that at the time wasn't really picked up on. But... They're a really interesting phenomenon because something I'd, I'd also like to talk to you about is, is ageing. And um, around that time, you know, like a lot of kids, um, I, would have been, I would have been at college then. I would have just been going back to my hometown to uh, you know, catch, catch a gig. Um, it's amazing, the Stranglers, um, most of them are actually older than me which was quite unusual because a lot of the, the really, um, you know, best, well, we call them best-selling, say the Buzzcocks, um, they were probably that critical six, seven, eight years younger. Do you know what I mean? They were in their twenties. Yeah. But um, the Stranglers are a really interesting phenomenon. They were founded by a guy. I mean, his real name was something like Jerry, Jerry Blake or something, but he called himself Jet Black, mm-hmm. which is an interesting one. And he... Um, he was a bit of a businessman, and the money for the Stranglers came from a fleet of ice cream vans, apparently. <laughs> yeah? Weirdly. Then you had the really handsome one there. Notice he's pushed to the front. Can you see him there on the right-hand side? He was called Jean-Jacques Brunel. He has a, a Bowie look to him. He does. Yeah. Bowie was very influential. He, he was born in the same year I was born. Um... Well, what's interesting, though, and this ties in with another central idea about punk. The idea was you didn't need to learn a musical instrument. You could get three chords and get up there with a bit of passion and be successful. He kept it very quiet, but Jean-Jacques Bernuel actually previously had played in symphony orchestras and so on and so forth. He's a classical guitar player. He kept it secret, you see, because at the time it was um, de rigueur, you know, you, yeah. you weren't supposed to be talented. The other thing, interestingly, about the guy talking about violence, <laughs> he was also a black belt in karate. <laughs> and um, going back to that John Savage guy who wrote that book, because 
I didn't touch upon it as much as I wanted to in the in the last uh, podcast, but the music press were phenomenally influential. New Musical Express, Melody Maker, Sounds, and a couple of others, might be more minor ones, they could make or break you. And around the time of the Sex Pistols, I often look in charity shops and things for copies of these mags, but you can't get them, funnily enough. I was going to ask, when you say New Musical Express, do you mean the NM? NME, yeah. Probably that's what we would have known it as. Yeah, but the NME in your lifetime would have gone online, wouldn't it? It's quite a shiny thing, though, wasn't it? Where, where I knew yeah. it as a kind of inky, inky newspaper, but the reporters for those papers, some of whom I've mentioned before, like Danny Baker, like Julie Burchill, etc., um, they could make or, or break you. And John Jack Bunuel, I think he punched that John Savage out, so the Strangler's stock went down for a, <laughs> a few months, you know. And we'll leave it there this week. Of course, congratulations to Peter on becoming a grandfather. And I do wonder whether this podcast might become a bit of family history for them now. Now, we'd love to hear from you. What's your favourite punk rock memory or story? And how has it maybe influenced your life? Were you a punk? Are you a punk? Let us know. Don't forget to subscribe. Give us a like, a rating and share Apparently Peter with everyone you know to help keep that punk spirit and its unfiltered stories alive. So until the next pint and a chat, take care of yourself. On to the next one.